Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, everybody? It is Sunday night, 8-10. I was hoping to start by... Saturday. Saturday night. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Saturday night. See, that was literally uh, Ryan's stiff arm on me to, to start the show here. I was speeding home. Like, if, if a cop pulled me over on the on the 290, I was going to have to say, listen, you know, I got to get home for the Shout Football podcast. You could tune in on your phone when I get there, but... Please don't give me a ticket and let me go. But I, I, I wasn't pulled over. Luckily, I got home in time. Um, maybe I shouldn't be talking about that. Who knows? <laughs> the Bills, their first playoff victory in 25 years. What a victory. It was a hard-earned victory. We're going to get into this, the nuts and bolts of this game. Uh, this is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. I'm your host, Matt Perino. He is my co-host, Ryan Talbot. And if you hear that sound in the background, it's the heat on. And I, I ran home and I... I ran down here. I didn't turn the heat off. So I got to text my wife and tell her to turn this, turn this down. We are brought to you by tops friendly markets, your neighborhood store with more. We have so much to talk about Ryan, but let's start with, I have somewhere where I want to start, but where, what was your initial uh, takeaway from this game? Uh, winning in the playoffs is difficult. I, I don't think I saw more than a handful of bills fans complaining about the, how close the game was, but it, Look at the second game that's playing right now. Seattle Seahawks at home playing against a Rams team that had a backup quarterback starting and Jared Goff, who's pretty much playing with nine fingers in this game, and the Rams are going to win it. Uh, so playing in the playoffs is tough. Winning in the playoffs is even more difficult. Every team is there for a reason. So the Bills have been steamrolling opponents heading into the playoffs. That said, you know, I saw a win is a win here in the comments. That's exactly right. A win is a win. The Bills are moving on. They're one step closer to their goal. Here's I'm going to take that one step further with one of the things that I've been thinking about for the last two hours, and I'm going to write a little bit about it probably for the site tomorrow if I can stay up uh, after we're done with this. It's a, it's a, these are long days, Ryan. I mean, started with the pregame show at about 11. Uh, for a while there, we were doing those Zoom videos to kick off the days. We're going to put those on pause for – for the playoffs here because these days get get really long but you know 
the Bills are, I feel like, at this stage of the season, the goal that I think most people would have told you heading into the year has been met. The division and a playoff win. So the kind of original expectations for the season now have been met. They've evolved over the course of this season with how good this offense has been. We talk so much about it. But you can sit there at least and say, okay, you're sitting here with a home playoff win, the first home playoff game in decades, and you went out there and you dealt with some adversity. And I think that's kind of also my biggest takeaway. This version of the Bills team, you know, it's it feels a little bit different than the one we watched in Houston last year. There were so many moments in this game where I feel like the, you know, things could have went wrong for this Bills team. I mean, you know, there were no turnovers, but there were, you know, just some plays where, you know, not converting. Um, I can't remember what the play was in the second quarter that I that I had uh, written down. But every time the Bills kind of inched their way ahead in this game, the Colts came back. And in the fourth quarter, you take a commanding lead. Usually teams fold that have played the Bills this season when they take a commanding lead, you know, late in the second half. Well, the Colts responded in the fourth quarter with two touchdowns, and it came down to two plays. We're going to talk about one of them um, down the stretch. But I thought this was another step in a season of steps that this Bills team has taken. Yeah, you know, the Colts, to their credit, like you said, they moved down the field very quickly on those two final two drives. Uh, one of them less than two minutes, the other less than three minutes. So to their credit, they didn't fold. They made a lot of plays, a lot of big third down conversions, uh, fourth down conversions mixed in there. Uh, but Buffalo's defense rose to the occasion when it mattered most to, to help this team win. And now, you know, we're not going to look ahead just yet. We still have a lot to talk about with this game. But now we can start uh, talking a little bit tonight, too, about the, the possibilities of their next opponent. Yeah, so let's go to the fourth quarter because I, I think that that's a good place to start. And we'll get to a lot of the different performances in this game. There's a lot to talk about, uh, including Josh Allen. But it came down to the defense. And, the, you know, the defense gave up over almost 500 yards in this game. I mean, the Colts were able to pretty consistently move the ball. They did a pretty good job, I thought, you know, from, you know, start of the game to the end of the game on Jonathan Taylor, considering he's coming off of uh, a, a historic rookie performance for a running back 250 last week against the Jaguars. I thought they did a pretty good job dealing with him for the most part, but the, the Colts moved the ball in this game and they were moving it again in, in the bills, you know, uh, had to punt the ball back to him. They couldn't, uh, finish that last drive there. And as they're driving, you're starting to get a little bit nervous if you're a Bills fan because, you know, they've been doing that all game long. And I think that it definitely is something we're talking about that 24 points at the end of the game. Um, that's all that, the, that they end up with. I asked Micah Hyde about that after the game. And he said, listen, we're a defense that, you know, we have been harping on red zone defense and it's interesting we talked about it a little bit in the in the po in the podcast on wednesday that frank reich found two areas that he's really focused in on with his team going in this game winning the turnover battle which the bill should have won and we'll talk about that in a minute and red zone defense and the the bills i think were uh trending a little bit worse than the colts uh going into this game at 65 percent touchdown rate uh, for the Bills defense, 61% touchdown rate for the Colts. And I thought that 
that was the difference in the game. When the when the Bills needed stops in the red zone, they got more than the Colts were able to get. And and that was a, a massive deal. And you know, you can set it up here. The the Jordan Poyer play was was quite an interesting uh, few minutes there. Yeah, even even before that, I'm going to go a little bit before that because you mentioned the, the Bills' final drive where Josh Allen avoids one sack, spins out of it, gets hit again, fumbles, and that could have been doomed for the Bills. But luckily, Daryl Williams comes in, makes the one of many game-changing plays to the Bills by recovering that. And, and yeah, backed up Buffalo from scoring any points, putting that game away. Uh, but but you give Indy the ball there with that much time left, it could have been a whole different ball game. Fast forward though, the, Indy gets the ball back. Uh, does they don't show a lot of urgency? I guess I was actually pretty stunned that when they were you know out of timeouts, they weren't moving a little bit faster. They huddled up after one play, uh, but they get themselves into a fourth and ten situation. Rivers delivers another great ball. He was outstanding today. And Zach Pascal catches it, gets up, and Jordan Poyer with a heads-up play reaches in and rips at that ball. And almost simultaneously, Matt Milano comes in and hits Pascal. The ball goes flying. The Bills clearly recover it. And then the officials drop the ball numerous times. First, they say he's down on the field. They don't even call it right live. Okay, it happens. Then you look at the replay and the review. I think there were enough angles. There were enough... Um, there was enough video evidence to show that Poyer did not touch him, Pascal, that is, until he stood up, no body parts on the ground, and then went for the ball. What should have ended the game did not. The officials gave the Colts another life, uh, and then we found ourselves in a Hail Mary situation, which I'm sure some Bills fans were chewing away whatever fingernails they had left at the end of the game. Uh, but Truth be told, it's a little worrisome that in 2021, the officials and the officiating crew in New York are still getting plays like this wrong, where there seemed to be clear evidence that it was a good fumble and it should have been a turnover and the game should have been over a little bit earlier than it was. That is, you know, just to start with, and I tweeted this out in the moment, like just baffled. Why does it even take Sean McDermott to take a timeout for the referee crew to get it together enough to realize, oh, hey, by the way, we're under two minutes. He's not going to challenge this. We need to challenge. We have to go and review this play because it was that close. That's just, you know, in the playoffs, like if you're the NFL sitting there as a league right now, you call up every crew that worked this weekend and you put on the tape, just like Sean McDermott's going to do to get his team ready for next week. And you review those kinds of plays because they can't happen. It I think it was uh, Ross Tucker who tweeted out and I retweeted him. He said, you know, that is an all time timeout by Sean McDermott. It it ended up not, you know, working for them. They didn't overturn it and that's on them. And that's a whole separate conversation to your point, but the league just like in like routine wise, like you have to figure out um, those kinds of errors because they're game changing. And, you know, if you're a fan, I mean, I think Bills fans are used to that, and it wouldn't have been the the craziest idea in the world if they would if if if, if from a Bills fans' perspective, if getting screwed over by the referees. I feel like they've dealt with that for years and years and years. Usually, Tom Brady is in those games. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I thought that it was a crazy play, and the first replay that came up in the stadium, I think Bills fans knew. We're going to talk about Bills fans in a minute. Like that was being there today, just emotions just running through your you know just just looking like before the game Ryan there was a moment 
where the Bills had run out of the field. And all season long, they don't come out for the um, anthem. They stay in the locker room. And they continue to do that. Um, that's just been a choice that Sean McDermott did since the beginning of the year. And so they they did they came on the field. They didn't introduce the offense. They just they introduced the Bills, and the whole team came out. And there was just a, a like a moment like before the coin toss, like the front row of the second deck, right in front of the press box. It, there's just a group of fans, and they're almost in unison, just like bouncing. Like I I kind of got the the, the I the visual of like. Uh, B rabbit in eight mile when he's getting ready to go out on stage. Like there was just like, there was this nervous, maybe it was a nervous energy or maybe it was just a, just, we've been waiting to get in this building for eight months since uh, Brandon being traded for Stefan Diggs and not being able to see him in this offense after all these years. And it was just this explosion. Jerry Hughes said it felt like 20,000 bills fans in that stadium. And I tweeted it out before the game, just during warmups, I heard them and I was like, there's no anybody that said 6,700 fans is not going to make a difference. They made a massive difference. And, you know, he credited them for the false start. And that's a big deal because that was a game changing play. The Bills scored a touchdown on that drive. Yeah, the crowd was ready. I, I love seeing all the photos and videos from earlier today uh, leading up to the game. Fans in their cars, wait, you know, car gating is what they were calling instead of tailgating, uh, getting into the stadium, how excited they were, reactions to touchdowns. It was fantastic. They've been waiting for that moment. And you're right. Even at home on the broadcast, you could hear the fans on TV. Uh, they, they were very loud. They they did their 111th today, as Sean McDermott would say. They they showed up. They were they made a difference in this game. That false start, like you said, unbelievable. That uh, they the Colts even jumped on that play. That was just such you know one of many costly costly mistakes for Indianapolis today. But the fans deserve some credit for that. So kudos to them awesome that they could be in attendance to see Buffalo's first playoff uh, win in, in 25 years uh, at Bill's stadium, obviously. So great, great. You know, you, you have to feel great and you have to feel good for those fans that have waited so long. Indeed. And, you know, I thought that it was kind of symbolic that, you know, even though the Poyer situation occurred the way that it did, and it was kind of a disappointing uh, turn of events because you know that was the game right there. If the Bills get the ball back, they win it. I thought it was a little bit poetic that Micah Hyde, uh, you know, veteran safety that was like you know one of the first building blocks of of this regime and this uh, version of this Bills team and franchise was able to emphatically swat down a Hal Hal Mary. Uh, what do we what do we got now? Seven or eight weeks removed from the Hal Murray in Arizona. And listen, when that ball was in the air, I, I, I first saw 21 Jordan Poyer's number. And then I, I quickly scanned over and found uh, Micah Hyde. And I was like, there's no way that all of these guys are not going to go piling up towards that ball and do anything they can to just slam that like a volleyball down to the turf. And that's exactly what happened. And that's how you have to play it in that moment. Um, but let's get into this Indianapolis Colts team that really was game today on both sides of the ball. And, you know, Darius Leonard was very vocal early on in the game. Couple stops for the defense. He was definitely chatting to Josh Allen. One of the first big plays of the game was actually him actually blasting Josh Allen on a quarterback run. Um, 
I thought that their defense had a really good scheme uh, game plan for this Bills offense, and obviously they wanted to take away the deep ball. I think that's a big reason why John Brown didn't get, didn't really have a chance to get involved, but they also really took Stephon Diggs out of the mix. He only had three targets for one catch and 36 yards in the first half. I thought at all three levels, as expected, this Colts defense did a really good job game planning for this offense. Yeah, they, they were phenomenal. This is the best defensive performance I've seen this year against the Bills offense. And, you know, tip of the cap to them. Uh, up front, they were getting a lot of pressure. You mentioned Leonard, how good he was. You mentioned the secondary. Uh, they made life difficult for Diggs. Now, Diggs did have one drop in that first half that hit right off his hands on an you know, intermediate ball. Uh, but you're right. They, they phased him out of the game. They, they John Brown, four targets, no catches. Isaiah McKenzie, uh, after you know the Isaiah McKenzie game really isn't uh, on the field much. He doesn't make many. He doesn't get any opportunities to make any plays. So they slowed down this team and, and did a good job of it. And you mentioned it. The Colts were great today in a lot of areas. Time of possession in the first half, they dominated it pretty much two to one. Uh, they did a good job of, and time of possession obviously means keeping the opposing team off the field, but on defense, they were getting the bills off the field on third downs field position was huge in this game. And the Colts had the bills buried for most of it in the first half. So the Colts had a really good game plan. They had a really good blueprint on defense. They just simply left too many plays out there on the field. They made some questionable decisions, uh, going forward on fourth down near the goal line at the four after losing three yards, the going for the two, I know what analytics say, uh, but that was a head scratcher, the the false, you know, jumping off sides, I should say. A lot of little things snowballed and really cost Indianapolis a chance to pull off the upset. Yeah, I thought that Frank Reich was just a little bit too in his head in this game. And, you know, sometimes I feel like, if you're a head coach in this league and, and he's won some big games, he's he's been a, a pretty good coach in this league. I'm not trying to question Frank Reich too much here, but I just thought a couple of these decisions were puzzling in a game where the Bills offense was struggling. If you're sitting there as, a, as the Colts defense and you, and you see kind of uh, the momentum swing in a game when you're really controlling the game, I mean, they really took the air out of the Bills, out of the ball for the Bills offense in that first half. I thought that, you know, Josh Allen did a good job of maintaining and even through the struggle, not turning the ball over. Like that was a big key of this game. No turnovers against the Colts is a surefire recipe for a victory. Of course, you want to hold Jonathan Taylor down as much as you can. 21 carries and 78 yards for Taylor uh, in this game is a huge win for the Bills. And that was a point of emphasis. Jerry Hughes admitted it after the game. But I, I, I was surprised that, um, you know, you, you go for it. You, you don't take those. I think it was uh, Manuel uh, Acho that, t- that tweeted out after the game. They don't go for three points. They go for it on fourth down in the red zone against a Bills defense that notoriously, like if you take the full Sean McDermott Bills defense into account when you're preparing for them, and, and all these coaches do. I mean, they don't just watch film from this year. They, they're familiar with, you know, these defenses from the past. They've, they've notoriously been good at, when they're backed up against their their goal line, making a stand. And so you're taking a big risk by leaving points on the board. 27-27, you can go into overtime if you kick that field goal. Who knows what happens? But, of course, I mean, if Blankenship hits the field goal, it's tied. There's all these little pieces uh, that go into a game. It's always easy to second guess after the fact. But I just thought that Frank Reich just, to me, he overthought some things, and, and I think that in the end that cost them. 
You know, one other play that he overthought that actually may be the biggest one of all, Zach Moss's injury. He goes down, he gets hurt on that, uh, hurts his ankle. And at the tail end of the play, the ball comes out. Colts say they recover it. But a replay is shown on TV as Moss is getting tended to on the field. And mm-hmm. you can see clear as day that the running back's knee and I believe his elbow hit before the ball even came out. So you would think that whoever is up there in the booth watching that for the Colts would say, oh, nothing to challenge here. Uh, it, it was, you know, they were right to call him down by contact. They burned one of their three second half timeouts and they were left with one timeout at that point. It was a terrible call because you had enough time to look at it before even challenging it because there was an injury on the field. And then two, that left you with one timeout. If they had that one timeout on that final drive, they would have had a little bit more time to target the middle of the field and maybe set up that field goal attempt rather than having to go for a Hail Mary. So little things add up. And there's another one. You're right. Frank Reich just made a lot of poor decisions in costly moments for the Colts. I still think he's a very good head coach. He'll learn from this. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, he was out coached by Sean McDermott and, and some of it had to do with his own decision-making. Let's get into the rookie wide receivers that were on display in this game. Uh, Michael Pittman jr. For the, uh, Indianapolis Colts had himself a really nice game, led them in receiving five catches, 90 yards, almost had a huge touchdown pass, but Phillip rivers just put it a little bit out of reach to touch the tip of his tips of his fingers. He was taken 94 picks before Gabriel Davis went to the bills uh, in the fourth round, Gabriel Davis today in a much different situation. I mean, Pittman's relied upon there as their number two Um, in a lot of ways. It's kind of uh, he's, he he might be intersecting at this point with um, T Y Hilton in terms of, you know, him kind of hitting the, the, the tail end of his career and Pittman kind of trending up. Davis is able to play in a very talented wide receiver group, but he made, some huge plays today finished with four catches for 85 yards. Those two catches on the touchdown drive were massive. And, you know, the bills were looking for something. I mean, they made the big defensive play. That was great. They got the ball back and they were looking for somebody to step up and make a play. And lo and behold, it's rookie Gabriel Davis who led the team or was second on the team in touchdown receptions this year with seven, just absolutely huge plays. And I wrote about it in my observations. They were spectacular catches where, both times, everybody in the press box was kind of him and hawing like, there's no way he caught it. Maybe me louder than anybody because I just didn't see from the angle watching in the press box where his feet were, specifically on that first catch where he just had to have unbelievable balance and awareness. The other one was more like a toe drag. This one was he just, to keep himself in bounds there, Ryan, was unreal. Yeah, I called them Gabriel, the play stands Davis, because they they had to look at both of those plays along the sideline. And what an unbelievable job getting his feet down, dragging them, whatever you want to call it. You know, one was a play where I, at first I thought, I mean, Allen may have been throwing it away and just like throwing it down the field. Uh, but then you see Davis haul it in, get the feet down, second one along the sidelines as well. Great, great plays for this rookie. Uh, I think he ended up averaging over 21 yards per catch in the victory. I think the same yards per carry average as Stefan Diggs. So he played a huge role in this victory today. Obviously not the only rookie to play a role in it. We'll obviously talk about Tyler Bass here in a minute with uh, a clutch, clutch kick. But one other rookie I want to address real quick because I see it in the comments. Uh, people asking about Zach Moss. It's it's not looking good. It was reported after the game by Mike Garofalo that it looks like it is a serious injury that will probably end Moss's postseason. Uh, so 
Bills will probably be without Moss here for these next few weeks. Yeah, that was uh, – you hate to see it. Josh spoke about it after the game, uh, said he was praying for him, and you hate to see a guy go down, especially a young guy like that who, you know, it's been a, it's been stops and starts for, for Zach Moss. And I think for both guys, him and Singletary, it's been such a tough season because they're in a pass-heavy offense. And I think that for – a running back without that kind of consistent workload, it's tough to to get into a routine. Now, I know another the, the next logical question looking ahead is what's going to be next. Antonio Williams had himself quite the debut last week, but I would I would be hesitant to say that that's going to clear the way for Williams to get activated to the active roster because we see how, what they do in terms of Sean McDermott and this coaching staff with their roster. You have a young rookie that comes up and has a really good couple games in Dane Jackson, but you know when they when it counts, they they stick with Josh Norman and Levi Wallace. Uh, Norman played quite a bit today. Levi Wallace was out there, you know, in the final moments. But I'll be interested to see their snap counts tomorrow. But I think that you know you have TJ Yeldon that you signed as a veteran that you know is now off the COVID list. I would expect him to be the guy that gets activated. But who knows? Maybe that was enough in the finale against the Dolphins for Williams to get the nod. Yeah, I saw. I had a few questions on social media about that after the game, and I agree. They they trust their veterans. They trust the guys that have been on this roster for a long time. We've heard how much praise that Sean McDermott has had for TJ Yeldon over the last two years. I think he'll get the first crack at it. Um, now, someone else said, well, could they at least still sign Williams to the main roster, have him inactive on game day like they've been doing with Yeldon? It, it might be a logical step because after Singletary and Yeldon, the only other uh, running back that you currently have on your roster is Taiwan Jones, technically. So it's a possibility that they do that. But I agree. It's going to be Yeldon that most likely gets that first crack, that first opportunity to be uh, the number two running back on this team. And the one thing I'll say about Yeldon is he's probably, well, I don't even think probably, he's definitely the best, the best pass catcher of the running backs on this team. So he could contribute in that area. We did see Josh Allen throw it a lot to Moss today. Uh, and try to get the backs involved. So he he could be an asset from that area, but maybe you do elevate or uh, promote, I should say, Williams to the main roster because Kumaro's up, suddenly available again. Maybe you add him to the practice squad. There's going to be a lot of moving pieces this week, depending on the severity of Moss's uh, injury in terms of what they're going to do with him going forward. Indeed. We're going to do a quick word from our sponsor. We will be back. We got to get into this defense a little bit. Uh, some things to talk about. Ready for football? Tops is with ready-to-serve fan favorites everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops. So, you know, Bills come away with a 27-24 win. And, you know, it's there's a lot of things that in a game like this, first and foremost, I think it's important to clarify Playoff games are different. Like, you know, I, I get it that, you know, you what you want to see the the offense that uh, you saw in the regular season transition into the postseason. But rarely is that a case because not only do are you playing better level of competition, you're playing the, you know, the best that's left. You're also playing against the best that's left that has a chance to dig into 16 games of film and do the, the type of studying necessary to kind of put forth the best game plan and, and situate yourselves uh, to beat a team. And I thought that this offense today, the way they attacked the Bills, um, particularly Tremaine Edmonds, was really well done. And I thought, 
you know, we talked about it, you know, Darius Leonard being very vocal and boisterous before the game, talking about coming in here, wanting him to, to prove the fact that he should have been drafted 16th overall and not Tremaine Edmonds. And I thought maybe that would be a big spot for Tremaine Edmonds to step up in this, in this game. And I, I just felt like he didn't raise his level of play in this game. And actually there was a few missed opportunities most notably a fourth and short where I thought that he made the right read was in the defensive backfield and didn't make the play on Jonathan Taylor. I believe Ed Oliver was back there too. Yeah, it, it was a bad day. I thought for the linebackers as a whole, but Edmonds, he, he broke up a few passes, but he, he struggled to shed blocks. He struggled to make some plays. Uh, he was taken out of some plays. We're waiting for that light bulb to go off where he consistently flat like shows what he shows in those flashes where we're like oh, okay now i see you know this is why they got the bills picked him in the first round they traded up to get him we've seen those flashes the goal line stops in, in prime time this year and, and things like that but he struggled he matt milano struggled he thought there was help on the back end on one play that they were burned for a long touchdown this was a, a bad game for the linebackers. And we talked all week about how the, the game plan was going to be Rivers gets the ball to his backs and his tight ends. And obviously the Bills knew that too, but they didn't have many answers for those tight ends today. Uh, Doyle was catching a lot of the balls. Obviously Burton made some big plays. Even Mo Ali Cox had a few catches in, in there. So Buffalo's front seven as a whole, a little underwhelming, a little pressure, I thought Ed Oliver was the most consistent among that group. I'll have to go back and watch the game again in terms of getting a push up front. But that whole area really struggled, I thought, against the Colts. And, you know, to, to Rivers' credit, without any pressure there, he was delivering dimes today for the most part, uh, putting, you know, dropping balls into the zone coverage where his guys were the only ones that could catch it, making play after play after play. Even in a lot of third and five, third and six, third and seven situations, he drew up the right plays, found the right guys, and, and kept extending drives for them. So maybe it was a case of the defense being on the field so much today, uh, especially with those long, sustained drives in the first half where the Colts were uh, playing that time of possession game. But I, I did not come away very impressed with the front seven. But you're right, you know, Edmonds uh, especially struggled, in, in my opinion, and didn't do anything in terms of that narrative with Darius Leonard. Yeah, it was Naheem Hines who we talked about on Wednesday. That was really the dynamic playmaker, I thought, uh, in this game. Taylor had some runs, don't get me wrong. 21 carries, though, for 78 yards. You'll take that, 3.7 a clip. Uh, it was Hines that broke a couple big runs. And I don't even think, uh, let me look at his, he had three targets and one catch in this game. And that's one of the big things we were talking about. He did his damage just out of the backfield as a runner. Uh, but you compare side-by-side -side Phillip Rivers to Josh Allen, and it's such an interesting comparison. Rivers threw it 46 times in this game compared to 35 for Josh, 58% completion percentage for Rivers, who if you go back and look through his career, that completion percentage is always above 65%. I mean, he's he's consistently been one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Sean McDermott has been quick all week and after the game to call him a, a surefire Hall of Famer, basically, that they just went up against. He threw it for 309 yards. This was a game where I felt like the they schemed things very difficultly for Josh Allen. They made him really go through his reads. You saw a couple times, he took a couple, I think he only was sacked twice, but there was a couple times where he had to get out of the pocket where things were just crumbling around him because of how disciplined they were in the secondary, but you look at his stat line at the end of the day, Ryan sacked only two times, 9.3 yards per attempt, 
324 yards, and here's the clincher. In a game where the Colts did their very best to scheme against this guy, 74.3% completion percentage. I mean, this is just a different – there's so many things that he talked about after the game they wanted to do better. I know we're flipping back to the offensive side of the ball. I want to talk about the defensive line too. But there's so much to talk about here because – that's the that's the biggest thing that happened in this game for me is there was there was probably a handful of moments where Josh could have kind of um you know deviated from the script that we've seen play out all season and time after time he didn't they were only two for nine on third down they they have to be better there they going against maybe Pittsburgh and Kansas City uh, potentially all these other teams but to realize that you have this in your bag to face all the problems, make a couple mistakes and still respond and still make plays to win the game. This was a huge performance for Josh Allen today against a really tough defense. Yeah. I can't remember who said it after the game, but they said, if Josh Allen's not the MVP, it's rigged. Uh, was that Dion Dawkins? May hmm. have been. Um, but any, anyways, backed up in the first half a lot, uh, trouble getting things going. Yet, like you said, he still completes over 74% of his passes, and these were not all dink and dunks by any means. He was stretching the field, uh, hit the deep ball to digs, hit some intermediate throws, had two balls that were dropped, one that went right through John Brown's hands, another that bounced off of Diggs's hands. So believe it or not, his stats could have been even more gaudy than, than what they were here. He proved that, one, he was the better quarterback of the two today. Uh, which, you know, at this, this point in Rivers' career, I don't think that's a, a huge shocker. But he also proved that he belongs in that MVP talk once again by delivering. And, and you've already mentioned the throws to Gabriel Davis. But he's taking what's there. He's t he's making the smart play, the smart read, dropping it off to the running backs, getting Cole Beasley involved. And tip of the cap to Cole Beasley. What a gutsy performance. You could just see him after plays how he was struggling to run back to the huddle. And he ends up leading the team in receptions and making some really big catches and getting uh, moving the chains after the catch. So tip of the cap to him, Gabriel Davis, Stefan Diggs, the list goes on and on. But Josh Allen was unbelievable tonight uh, or this this afternoon running the ball too, running a little bit more than I than even I expected, but w w scored a touchdown there. Um, so overall, outstanding game for uh, Buffalo's franchise QB. You know, the Bills really had themselves a draft in, in 2020, in my opinion. And most of it, most of it's about potential. Like we've seen AJ uh, Epinesa flash some potential, especially late in the season. Uh, Zach Moss at times, a couple big games. Uh, but both guys that really didn't have huge roles this year. But you look into the later rounds and what Gabriel Davis has done in the fourth round as potentially one of the marquee receivers in this draft. Obviously, Justin Jefferson is, is looking like the best in that group um, at this point. But another guy that rarely gets talked about, and I'm, and I'm looking it up here, he was the second kicker off of the board, Tyler Bass in the sixth round. The Bills had a problem last year in Houston. They could not send Steven Hauschka onto the field to attempt a 50-plus yard field goal because he, they knew deep down in their heart of hearts, as much as everybody loved Hausch money, in that locker room, in Bill's Mafia, he just he just didn't have the leg for it anymore. They had to make a change at that position. They went out and drafted Tyler Bass. They needed a 54-yarder today, 
and Sean McDermott didn't has well, he kind of hesitated because he he sent Josh Allen out there and then they blew a timeout, which I I that's a pet peeve of mine. I can't stand when they do that when you try <laughs> when they're when you're trying to draw him offside. I get it, but you waste the timeout. I don't know. It's just maybe the old school football guy in me. But uh, they sent Tyler Bass out and he splits the upright. It would have been good from sixty. I almost wanted to see them send him out. It would have been a fifty nine yarder later in the game. They they opted not. I think they punted. Um, but because if you miss there, give the, you give the Titans the ball back. I understand, but you know, the kid's got a live leg and he's just had an incredible season. Yeah. Last year at the end of the year, house money was house pocket change. He, he couldn't make those long, <laughs> he couldn't make the long kicks though. He just couldn't. Uh, I liked the guy, you know, he was, uh, he was automatic uh, early in his career, but it changed. And I was happy to see the Bills draft Bass in this class. He was the the kicker with the biggest leg. And in Buffalo, you do need a big leg. The swirling wins, everything else. He got off to a rocky start, but the Bills trusted him. He ends up uh, being automatic pretty much from about week eight on. Ends up having the scoring record for the Bills, which has to do with their prolific offense. But yeah, you call on him today. And, and I guess part of the timeout had to do... Uh, with McDermott asking Bass, saying, hey, you know, you said you felt good from about 53 in warm-ups. Can you think you'd make it from 54? And Bass said, yep, I can do it. And they brought him out there, and like you said, that would have been good from 60. I mean, it was a no-doubter when it came off of his foot, which is pretty unbelievable. So, you know, those day three picks by Brendan Bean have have played a huge role on this team. We mentioned Gabriel Davis. We Now we're talking about Tyler Bass, who's, you know, that ended up being the game-winning points in this contest. That long, long kick where on the opposite end, the Colts have a, a rookie kicker in Blankenship who misses a 33-yarder, uh, doinks it off the upright. So big plays there. Dane Jackson obviously was not in this game, but he's flashed a lot. Then you have kind of like two bonus picks that, that we don't know much about. Jake Fromm, can he be quarterback number two down the road? Who knows? But Isaiah Hodgins is another intriguing option. I, I remember personally after the draft, some Fans saying, oh, yeah, I had Hodgins in, in round four over, and then Davis is like a late day three guy. Well, I don't think you'd say uh, you'd admit to that anymore at this point, the way that Davis has played. Hodgins, though, could end up developing into a really good prospect of his own, however. Let's go back to the first half. And I want to talk uh, here's kind of let me set up the, the rest of the show here because I have three things that I, I want to get into the defensive line, their matchup today against this front for the for the Colts, which I thought was, you know, as expected, really good. Um, I want to talk about the first half and Brian Dable, and then I also want to set up maybe next week and the potential opponents. I've seen that in the in the comments as well. Um, but let's start off with Brian Dable's approach in the first half. And I know that there was a lot of um, angst on social media as you know you were seeing the the first half play out, and even in the second half, you know some of the play calling where you know, I think there was one play that I think it was Zach Moss had an eight yard run and they ran it two more times and don't get a first down, and you're sitting there like. Where is the pass happy offense that I got used to watching all season long? Why are they uh, kind of going conservative? I even tweeted, I think it's, this is a little bit too conservative for my taste. And everybody knows I'm a very big uh, believer in what Brian Dable. And I think also in these moments, he's earned enough trust and faith to, to figure he's going to do the right thing out there. If you're a bills fan, sometimes I feel like there's this overreaction in the moment. I get it. Like just sitting on your couch, having a beer, eating some pizza and just like, damn it. Like I want to win this game and you're emotional. I, I get all that, but you notice at, in a few times in this game, there were significant adjustments made. I was waiting for when we were going to see the return of 10 personnel. We did see it. They went four wide receivers a couple times with a healthy Cole Beasley out there. And that seemed to 
kind of, you know, flip the, you know, the kind of the stagnant nature of how that first half was playing out early on. Yeah, right right before halftime, you saw some life from the Bills that come out after the half. They, they score a field goal as well. But you're right. At times, it was kind of head-scratching. Why are you running the ball three straight plays? Uh, I get you get nine yards on first down. You'd like to think that your backs can get one yard in the next two plays. But Buffalo's offensive line, especially against the Colts' defensive line, looked overwhelmed at times today. They, they were struggling to, to get that push. Uh, Buffalo just couldn't get that second effort that we saw at times from Jonathan Taylor and, and Naheem Hines, where they shed some tacklers in, in the uh, open field or even in the backfield in some cases. So you, you just kind of said that you said, well, wait a minute, we have a MVP candidate here in Josh Allen and Josh Allen's an MVP candidate because he's slinging it all over the field. I get you want to get the run game going, but yeah, in, in the first half there, there were some, uh, interesting play calls, you know, Brian Dable has is in this position for a reason where he's an offensive coordinator, where he's won multiple Super Bowls with the Patriots, where he's won a national championship at Alabama. And, and it's why he's also right now one of the hottest offensive coordinators in the NFL. But there are still times where you can question a coordinator's in-game thinking process. And, and I think it's fair to question what they were trying to do. Uh, I, I get you want to be physical. You can't be too one-dimensional at times in the playoffs. You do want to get that run game going get the opposing defenses on their on their heels a little bit but it just wasn't working today in the first half but kudos to him for changing it flipping it around and then obviously in the second half the bills were able to put together some drives uh not all of them resulting in points obviously we talked about the the fumble and the loss of 23 uh yards on, on that play late in the game but the bills were able to kind of match the colts uh blow by blow in the second half to to keep that lead and end up winning this game I'm trying to uh, trying to find it uh, going through the game. I believe it was in the fourth quarter, and it was. It was second and 10, and they did, actually didn't end up scoring on the – I was going to check to see if they scored on the drive. They didn't, but I wanted to give shout-out to Stephen Singletary. I mean, three carries, 21 yards, and a massive one for 13 yards to get the – you know, keep the clock moving as the, the Bills were trying to, uh, you know, eventually try to score there. I think that was the the series where Josh Allen took the big sack. Am I right? I believe yes. so, yeah, and, and it was a great run. You're right. Uh, over, I believe on the left-hand side, took it down the field, 13 yards, uh, broke a few tackles. So that's the kind of running that you want to see here uh, next week and in the weeks on. But obviously, whoever the Bills line up against next week, they're, they're going to be pretty pass-happy. That's been their recipe for success. Uh, but you do have to get a little bit more out of this run game, and that starts with the blocking up front. And whoever they play to is, I think it's important to note the 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 level of offensive line play is probably going to dip in the next couple of weeks. I mean, Kansas City is dealing with a lot of injuries on their offensive line. I didn't think that Pittsburgh's offensive line, even with Pouncey back in the mix a couple of weeks ago, uh, was nearly as dynamic as what we saw on the field today. I mean, Quentin Nelson is an absolute finisher. He's he's a you know you saw the issues with the, the size discrepancy at times. Uh, I think it was Justin Zimmer a few times just getting pushed around a little bit. And to be fair, I mean, listen, that's not a knock on the guy. He's undersized a little bit. They 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 do, I think, in a game like this, miss a Star Latulale or a big physical presence that they can ask to just go out there and take on the physicality of an offensive line there, take on a couple double teams. They just they just didn't have that significantly. And I think you 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 want Vernon Butler. You you don't you're not really you don't bring in Vernon Butler to be that guy. You want him to be uh, a pass rusher, a an attacker, 
uh, not necessarily a space eater. And I think that that's something that I thought was missing a little bit today. And I thought that was a big reason why Philip Rivers most of the day got to work pretty, um, you know, unimpeded. I mean, there wasn't a lot of plays where he had a lot of pressure and on some of the plays where he did, he's just a veteran guy. That's been, that's seen, a, he's been through a, what a million different snaps. He's seen pretty much everything in this league. He just got rid of the ball. That's a great point, Matt, about Indianapolis's offensive line. You're not going to find a better unit. I know their left tackle went down a few weeks ago with a season ending ankle surgery, but the other four starters are some of the best in the league. Nelson is the best in the league at what he does. You don't see guards going in the top 10 most years for a reason, but the Colts were more than happy to add him in that draft class when they did because he he was viewed as such a special player, and he's lived up to that building. He, billing. He has been unbelievable. They have Braden Smith at right tackle who did not give up a sack the entire season, so Rivers probably felt pretty good about having him there. Ryan Kelly, I believe, was an all-pro, named to the all-pro team. Uh, at center. And then even uh, Glowinski, I, I'm always blanking on this the other guard's name. He's up there too in, in terms of quality play, high-level play. I don't think he missed a snap this year. So that unit in four of those spots in today's game, one, a lot of cohesiveness, two, a lot of dominant play over 16 weeks in the regular season. So it's no surprise that they played so well today. And, and you're right, whether it's uh, Pittsburgh, Tennessee, Baltimore, you know, whomever uh, that, that they see down the road here, the offensive line is not going to be at that level for that, those opposing teams. Mm -hmm. I thought that also what, what was baked in a little bit to the way get, uh, Brian Dable called this game was being careful in a playoff game against a team where they were very familiar with the the keys to the game. I mean, uh, they, there was no hiding it. The, the team that was going to win the turnover battle in this game, I think had the upper hand to win it. And you could see with the way that Brian Dable was calling this game, the, the design quarterback runs, how freely they were using Josh as a rusher, how quick he was to pull the ball down and run that. I think that that going in and maybe I'll ask Brian about this tomorrow. That was kind of the game plan. Don't take any chances and throw it into the sticky parts of their zone. Michael Hyde talks a lot about that when they're their game planning is they want to make things sticky, make have a lot of noise in, at the second and third levels and, and force a quarterback to make their mistake. We saw what happened last week with Tua, obviously a much different situation, but it can happen and, and games can snowball. And I think the, you know, when in doubt, use Josh Allen as a runner. And Josh said after the game, we always know that that's a viable option. 11 carries today for Josh Allen. He hasn't had double-digit carries since the New England game in week eight. They haven't had to do it. The passing game has been going so well. But today, it had a different feel. Uh, th there was a dangerous sense with this defense that was flying around the ball, taking, around, uh, or taking away a lot of things. Uh, Josh specifically talked about the linebackers and their speed, sideline to sideline, not only Darius Leonard, but some of the other guys as well. They were moving all over the place, and, and windows were evaporating. And when that's the case turnovers can start to happen. And I think in hindsight, looking at their game plan, it, it was smart of Brian Dable to kind of deploy Josh in that manner because we saw what happened last year when the turnover started to mount up. And not only the turnovers, Brian, the turnover-worthy plays. Remember all those Bradley Roby throws that yeah. I thought, hey, man, those could have been six. Yeah, there were obviously quite a few instances where Allen was stopped for little to no gain on those design runs, and, and there was nothing there, and he was bottled up. But you also have to remember that right before halftime, 
it was a big run that set up Buffalo's touchdown with that. Allen obviously scored as well. So there were plenty of effective instances where it worked, where it, it was the right answer against that Colts defense just for as many times as it didn't work against them. But you're right. Keep it away from those areas where turnovers can happen, where you could find yourself in a bad spot. And, and obviously there's also that one instance where the Colts uh, had the run stopped, but Josh Allen being Josh Allen throws it at the last minute to Dawson Knox for a touchdown here uh, there at the beginning of the game. So even when you stop Allen on those design QB runs, you, you might not actually stop him because he might call an audible of sorts at the last second like he did there in this game. All right, looking ahead here before we sign off, I, I we got to get going out of here before 9. I do want to – there's some other stuff I get to here tonight. Um, but looking ahead, I mean, the potential options for next week's game, Baltimore is playing Tennessee. Uh, Pittsburgh is playing the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland's dealing with a lot. Uh, they're 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 healthy relatively player wise. They're going to have probably their full complement of weapons in case something develops tomorrow with COVID. But without their head coach, I mean, you just you wonder how that's going to play out in a game against Pittsburgh, where you know Mr. Juju Smith Schuster can't help himself without just doing something goofy that just makes everybody just like what? Like that's what's so funny. I remember when Antonio Brown made his way out, pushed, forced his way out of there, basically with his behavior. Everybody sat there and thought, man, Juju Smith-Schuster, they'll be in the clear. I mean, this guy seems like he's got his head uh, screwed on straight. Everything's good. The dancing thing is one thing, like whatever. I, I get it. It's your thing with the TikTok. But this, I mean, there is ultra confidence, I guess, in the Pittsburgh locker room that they're just going to um, – dominate the Browns for him to come out and say they're the same old Browns to me. I, I just thought that that quote was crazy. Yeah. It's not ideal to say something like that. Uh, come playoff time. Now, I did see one. I can't, what was the actual term that he used? The, the oh, I can't think of it right now. Someone said that it was a general term that uh, their Tomlin uses for when he's talking about opposing teams, but e either way, don't give any kind of bulletin board material that said, if the Browns do win this game tomorrow, it would be a major accomplishment because, in my opinion at least, I think Kevin Stefanski is one of the better in-game managers. Mm. I think that he sees how things are going in-game and he makes the right changes. He makes the, the right calls. and He's really good in that area. And you're not going to have that tomorrow. And maybe they can still pull it off. They still have plenty of talent on both sides of the ball, especially offensively. But I think they're in for a tall task. Uh, but, yeah, going into, uh, yeah, something about the, the gray, gray men or something like that, I guess it is a Tomlinism, but it, it's still a probably not something you want to say around playoff time. I saw it in the, in the chat there. But, yeah, I mean, if you're a Bills fan, in my opinion, you're, you're cheering for the Steelers tomorrow, tomorrow night, because if the Steelers win, you know that the Bills are going to be hosting the Steelers. It's a team you've already beaten. And it was not a, a blowout win by any means. And, and the Steelers are missing some key players in that game. Uh, but you're also probably looking at the most one-dimensional team of the possible opponents. You look at that Ravens team, for instance. They run the ball extremely well, obviously. Uh, you look <laughs> at a team like the Titans. We know what Derrick Henry can do to you. So... If you're going to get the higher seed, I think, you know, number three being obviously the Pittsburgh Steelers, that's the one you'd rather get. I'd, you'd rather see them over the 
uh, Titans, the four seed. And then if it comes down to those wild card teams, uh, you know, you, you let it go where it goes. But I think Pittsburgh is the best matchup from the uh, from the standpoint of the Bills. You know, they, they won. They did really well against Pittsburgh's running game last time. But in two, they, they kind of figured out Ben Roethlisberger as that game progressed. I'm I'm right there with you. I I think that that's the that's a, a smart way to think about this, and that you know Pittsburgh does make sense um, stylistically with all the teams that are left. But listen, if the Browns somehow pulled the upset, if you're looking at that Tennessee game, because listen, they recede every round, so Kansas City's going to play the lowest seed seed left in the playoffs. So if that ends up being if the Browns upset the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Bills then are going to play Tennessee Baltimore winner. I like that Tennessee matchup for the Bills based on the fact of how the first game went, how bad I think that their defense actually is. And the Bills offense was a completely different animal back then coming off a game where a defense just played so well. And listen, I respect Mike Vrabel. I think he could probably scheme something up against Josh Allen. Um, I, I'm not overlooking that completely, but I like that matchup of all the defenses that are left. I mean, that they can play because the Browns would end up being the lowest seed left. I really like that Tennessee Titans matchup. I think TJ Watt and company present a problem. Uh, I still think that Pittsburgh game is going to be a lot tougher than people think. Um, but hey, it's the playoffs. There's no easy games left, Brian. That's that's an important point to remember. Yeah, well said. And to your to your point, the Titans don't have much of a pass rush, uh, so that would benefit Josh Allen. And you mentioned the defense as a whole is pretty bad. Uh, the the Bills did not have Trey White in the first matchup, which obviously created a lot of issues because A.J. Brown is a phenomenal wide receiver uh, and Josh Norman struggled there. That also leaves Corey Davis, who's a, a you know, I, I remember, a, a, you have to remember he's a former top 10 pick, so he probably hasn't lived up to that standard, but he's still a very good receiver in this league uh, and has had some really good moments this year. So having your full arsenal on offense and defense in that rematch would be would, would make it kind of a, a must-watch game. I think the Bills could even go into that situation kind of playing the underdog card, even though they would be favored in that matchup, saying, oh, no, 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 we've already played them once this year, and they you know, they, they manhandled us. They beat us handily. We, we're going to go into this game feeling like the underdogs. And, and I feel like the Bills almost play better in that mentality where they can come out and, and try to prove people wrong. Like I said, they're still the two seed. They'll be the favorite. But if that ends up being the matchup, so be it. And that's another game where the Bills could end up beating them and getting that offense back on track as well. Buffalo Bills, first playoff victory in 25 years. Soak it in. Enjoy your Sunday. And the NFL set this up pretty nicely for Bills fans because you get you get a chance to watch your team on Saturday, a couple NFC games, and then you got the two other AFC games. Do some scouting on Sunday, get a pizza, get some wings, have some beers, watch some football. It's going to be fun. That's my plan. For Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. Keep it locked on to Syracuse.com, New York Upstate, all weekend long. We'll have full coverage after the fact, going into next week, uh, as soon as we find out who the Bills are going to play next. Um, and as always, find us, the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast, on all your pod- podcast platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google. Subscribe there. Leave us a rating and review if you would. We really appreciate it. We got some we got some changes coming in terms of how we're going to be delivered on YouTube, which is obviously one of our favorite, favorite platforms. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but for Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. Like I said, we will see you next Wednesday. Have a good one, everyone.
Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with its TV a day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. Shop Tops for the best.